good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. And welcome yet again to Halloweenies, in which we are discussing the Scream franchise. Long story short, ladies and gentlemen, this is long story longer. <laughs> Seriously, this, long story longer. You are now listening to part two of our Scream Two coverage. So, if you did miss uh, a couple weeks ago, our Scream Two. It's very confusing. Our Scream Two Part One episode. Please make sure you go back and listen to that. We talk a lot about the history of Scream 2, the production history, the post-production, the pre-production, and an unhealthy amount of time spent on horror soundtracks and yeah, soundtracks Jesus. in general of the 1990s. Really put I mean, this over the top. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was half the runtime, right, of the first mm-hmm. episode. So please be sure to check that out first. And if you have checked that out, good news, because for this episode, we're going to be diving into the careers and characters of people featured in Scream 2, the killers, the, the, the protagonists. We're going to talk a lot about the special effects, our favorite scenes, and a lot of the references made throughout Scream 2. So as you can probably tell, this will also be a longer episode. But guess <laughs> what? You're getting your bang for your buck. And even though this is a free podcast, <laughs> we're more than happy to supply it for you. So uh, let's get into hearing some more of, my, of me talking about things to lead things off. <laughs> let's, Justin, hit it. Fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right, you die. You're crazy, both of you. All right, so for the category of sick fucks, we're going to be discussing the not one but two killers, starting with Debbie Salt, aka Mrs. Loomis, Lori Metcalf. This is obviously supposed to be the uh, Mrs. Voorhees mm-hmm. reference, right? So me, as a, a little 17-year-old boy, not yet a man, was in theaters, and I appreciated this reference because even back in the 90s, as is known in, in Scream, a lot of people don't realize that the first killer in Friday the 13th is not Jason, and it's his mother. So I really did appreciate that nod. The fact that she's also wearing all white, kind of like Mrs. Orr, he says that bright white sweater. Mm, yeah. I, I, I kind of yeah. like that touch. And she's also got the short haircut. Mm-hmm. These are little nods, little horror boy, basic boy Justin liked a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think her performance in this is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I think I don't think I ever, when I was younger, fully appreciated the performance she gives after the reveal that she's the killer. I do not think she blinks once. Actually, yeah. I, I counted. She does blink once in the entire, like the entire time she's talking to Sydney in that sequence. It's give, it's giving me like Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet vibes. Uh, who's on my shirt? 
Oh, is that? I was trying to figure oh. out who that was. Oh, so it's a blue velvet shirt. Yeah. And he's oh, got now the... he's got the mask on. Now it looks... God, I love that movie. I could tell if it was a man yeah. with a beak. <laughs> could also be that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think the the she gives like pure psychotic energy, and that whole perfor- that whole performance to me really sells it because like I feel like any reveal at this point in a series like this is going to be like, okay, well, they're the killer. Mm-hmm. Unless it was like Dewey or something, you uh, know. But I think that she does a really good, really, really good job in this. Mike. I was trying to, because like, like you, I was just blown away by the the twist. I just didn't see it coming, and I was thinking to myself, like, all right, so like Laurie Metcalf had just finished Roseanne at this time, so like she's notable, but she's not like super notable where it's like, oh, okay, well, this is like stunt casting. Like you know, there, there's good, you know, nowadays you see a big star, and you're like, oh, they're gonna be something. They have to be something. Why else would they be in the movie, right? And then I started thinking about it on that logic. And I'm like, because in hindsight, now I'm, uh, you, you see all the signs. It's the same way that you look at like Sixth Sense. You're like, oh, how did I not know this this entire yeah. time? But even so, I still think that if you saw Laurie Metcalf and you're like, oh, okay, Laurie Metcalf's in this movie. I still would look at surface level just seeing like, oh, it's just a rival reporter. Like that's enough mm-hmm. of a role for Laurie Metcalf to have. It makes sense. She's in a hot movie. Doesn't have to necessarily be anything bigger. So I still think that it's not so much of a red herring as it is just like, a, it is a shock. Like I don't, I don't even, like there, the whole time in this, the movie going on, especially first time seeing it, there's never in my mind thinking that she's going to be the killer. It's never, it's just not in my head. Like, and I, and I think well, that's- Well, think about where we were in the nineties, especially. We're just- we were trained when you see somebody, especially killers, being that athletic and that like quote unquote strong. Yeah, and, and also with scream, you're just automatically thinking it's either a guy or two guys. Mm-hmm. You're just not trained to think anything else in terms of the movies back then. Yeah, and so the fact that it was a woman was like that's even more of a, that was even more of a oh oh that's right <laughs> this is also yeah. this could this could possibly happen. None of the killer sequences look like the body of Laurie Metcalf that, that's underneath very true. those black robes. Those no, are definitely true. all Mickey or all stunt doubles, you know? We'll, we'll so. talk about, we're going to break down every scene later on, like, who do we think was, which okay. we did in the first episode. Yeah, we're going to do yeah, that. We'll break yeah, that down. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To go into the Laurie Metcalf thing, like, I, when I was 17 sitting in the theater, I hated this twist. Oh, here we go. All right. And because it just doesn't make, like, now, to Laura's point, Great performance mm-hmm. from Metcalf mm. in the end, but just so much exposition. It's a lot of exposition. Yeah. And you want me to believe that with this campus where everybody just keeps bumping into each other, where Sydney never bumped into Mrs. Loomis it, it's funny. on the campus. Like, it's just, it, it's it's so stretched for, I mean, suspension of disbelief. And because you never really get the clues that it's her early on, it feels cheap. You, it's funny you mention that because there's a line in the original script that I actually like and wish they would have kept where Mrs. Loomis is, says to Gail, it's just like, I can't believe you didn't. I, I, I'm actually surprised you never even recognized me. You interviewed me for the book. And right. like, I kind of wish oh, they kept wow. that. That would have been such a cool line. Yeah. That would have been. still doesn't make any sense that like nobody would recognize this woman, especially since there'd probably be pictures of her on television. Something, something all all through the year where, uh, you know, Loomis, uh, you know, I don't know if there was a case or anything. Well, no, because remember like she, they mentioned in the movie too, though. She, she, she bailed on town. Mm -hmm. She left town and she had surgery and she lost a lot of weight. So she doesn't look the same. Exactly. Because Billy says in the first one, doesn't he? Yeah. Would Cotton recognize her? Like they was, you know, they was fucking. No, no, Cod was not sleeping with Billy's mom. But Colin was sleeping with Maureen Prescott. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, but I do agree that it like 
they don't they don't really set it up until the moment she is revealed as the killer so that it doesn't feel like a gratifying payoff um i think it feels gratifying in the sense that it's surprising that it's Mm. like a known Mm -hmm. actor laurie metcalf but if you just look at it on the page if you're reading this in a novel or something like it would just be like oh Mm -hmm. okay I, i i do see that and i I think that they they don't sell Sydney's recognition of her enough. I think it's it's kind of rushed. She's like, oh, like Mrs. Loomis. Well, this right. is what a bunch of weight loss and plastic surgery does. It's very like clip clip clip, and well, then they you yeah. know there's they, a lot so of I, mm-hmm. there's a lot of script massaging. Yeah, just, yeah. And because too much you're spending, but here's the thing: like you're spending you're spending all of Scream with Billy. You're right. spending so much of Scream with Billy, not the whole thing, obviously, but you're only getting glimpses of Debbie Salt, Mrs. Loomis. And even that, she's playing a part. Yeah, so It's yeah. hard to really get who the person really is, hence the exposition dump at the end, which you, you kind of have to dump in there because she can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm Billy's mom. The nature of the whodunit, I mean, maybe it would have been smarter just to let you know who it was. It does, you don't have to have the whodunit in right. every scream, I don't think. And I think, and we'll get into this more in three, yeah. where why didn't they could have just... Uh, they could have just gone supernatural at this point. That's there, well, that's and that's what I was kind of referencing with the Randy's rules because he says that in his rules, and then they never indulge in it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, take that to another level. Like, if you're going meta that much, go fucking meta. If Friday the Thirteenth can do it, so can you. Hundred percent agree. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that yeah. completely. Like, if you're do not you going to Randy's make... ghost is going to show up and scream. In I hope so. God, I no, that it. would be funny. And people that would, would be fucking good. hate it. They yeah. would lose their fucking minds because it's not what Scream should be. And it's like, no, like, give me the Jason goes to hell mm-hmm. of Scream. Yeah, well, get, get ready. The idea of being a franchise that mimics franchises is that at some point you have to like break the rules and jump the shark and then and but have fun with it. And I think that if any Absolutely. series could have fun with it and pull it mm-hmm. off, it's the scream franchise absolutely yeah which hey maybe they do something like that with this next I one you know there's a lot fingers. of weird shit that the people are talking about that could do it i mean maybe they kill off the, the trio when they come back as ghosts throughout the rest of the movie oh, yeah, it. it's like the front so balls. people be so the balls mad on that. God, people be so mad i just want i That'd like what my, mike snoodian says on our podcast is leave nev campbell alone let sydney have a break if it like the opening sequence should be her just like chilling at home and then they cut to other characters for the rest of the movie like she's i do feel book. like she's gone through so much leave leave sydney alone it's also it, although it would almost be a mercy kill if they finally just finally killed her after 25 years like now no, you can that's finally the whole rest point of scream three is that she like is fine now like she's i mean i, oh, I don't we'll talk like about the trope th- that's of, a great like, ending of scream somebody 3. Who's, I have, yes i have we'll talk about that i have an opening that would make it it's kind of stealing a little bit away from west craven's new nightmare but like you literally have it where it is you know you think it's sydney that's actually being stalked in the beginning and then you find out that it's like oh nev campbell died mm, Ooh. And it turns out that it's the whole thing, it's like, it's like, then, then that way you can bring in the original cast for like all the other movies and, and yada, yada. And then you have a copycat killer. It's in the rough. Might hit a little too close to home, given that we live in a, in a nation of, um, of insanity right now. But, um, you know, who knows? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it responds tonally to how the world has changed and yeah. everything. You know, yeah, so. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. You know, that a little chaotic out. right now. Well, here's something else I want to mention too. There's a line. Uh, on rewatch once again makes total sense coming from debbie which is when she's explained to other reporters after being yelled at by gail she says well it just seems to me that if the killer is repeating what happened in woodsboro it's quite possible that the killer could be from woodsboro yeah and she is obviously saying 
it's her. <laughs> like yeah. she is from right. Wilkesboro. Yeah, so, upon, you know, upon rewatch, you're like, oh yeah, she was like, well, she could have like turned to the camera and winked. You uh, know? Thought, <laughs> that's why I hate. It's just all sort of dumb and it just didn't add up. And uh, oh, but I, I think the I series is, is is cute though. Like the that's series is a cute thing. Like, only, I, I, yeah, no, but I mean, fine. I think it, it's fun. The whole the whole Debbie Salt Mrs. Loomis thing just doesn't add up to a great reveal for me it's not like in that first one when you find out well that's there's two because the whole movie you kind of suspect it's him but then they make you think that it's not reveals it's him and then they bring out the second killer which was inventive yes mm-hmm. yeah i just my, my my problem with the first one still is that like the i know they do a lot of the you know gerrymandering to like make it so that it doesn't seem as if like you know billy is the killer but like i never really thought that he was i always thought he was the killer like there was just never a, a moment where i was just like yeah, they're playing games somehow. Like, I know when 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 uh, when Stu goes in there and kills him. You think he kills him though? I never thought that though. I just didn't like. I, I felt like something was. At so that point, on. you thought there were two. Yeah, I think a lot of it also is the. I don't know. It's weird. It's. I guess Scream is always just a what if because like I always never. Always felt like I was. T- there was so much chatter around it that I was probably spoiled anyway. But like, I think what the the, the Mrs. Loomis thing was such a left hook. That I, it's something that is, because my mind is always trying to figure it out. And when I'm watching these movies, like it's, I never just right. am at ease and just watching it. I'm always trying to unlock it. I'm always trying to look for the strings, you know, at a puppet show. And, and so with the, the Mrs. Loomis thing, the fact I just, it wasn't in my radar. And so like, it's still one of the biggest double whammies for my head. Cause I remember even turning a cat and just being like, what the fuck? Like, that's crazy. And then they, the thing that I don't like in this franchise and we could spoil the next one, but like what they do with the revelation of the next movie is when I'm like, okay, that's cheap. Like that's, that's where you get super cheap. Now you've gone far. Um, but by that one, they've gone so far and building off a screen too. It's like, fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. we'll yeah. that. If we'll it was supernatural, it would be even I fucking agree. better. They should I have. Said. Like if you're going to jump the shark, fully jump the shark. Don't yeah. tease. Don't flirt with the shark. You know? they, they kind of do tease the dream logic and, and supernatural stuff in scream three, which I don't think really works. It does. At least the way they pulled it up or tried to pull it up. Okay. I do have a question here though. We, we I know in scream one, uh, Sydney has killed two people. So in scream two, <laughs> Mrs. Loomis is either killed by cotton or maybe it's, maybe it's Sydney. Cause she does the, the, the preventative mm-hmm. headshot at the very end. Who, who killed Mrs. Loomis in your, in your heart? Cotton. 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 And okay. I think if I may, I don't think I think they kind of waste Cotton's story because I think they should have made him a little bit more sympathetic. Well, we'll and talk giving about him that kind character. of a hero. Right. Okay, we'll talk about it. I think later. we disagree okay. on that. I think we disagree on that. Okay. Um, I well. <laughs> yeah. Cotton. Hold our thoughts. Everybody hold your thoughts. Everybody hold your breath until we get Wait, to Cotton in the next Should we session. talk about Mickey? Yeah. Let's talk about Mickey. Mickey Altieri right. play by the great Timothy Oliphant, who has aged like a fine wine. Oh, he may be the gorgeous. stone cold fox of this. Uh, so much franchise. better now. Yeah, it's a little unnerving to me. <laughs> but like, man, he Oliphant. he always he, was he born with that receding hairline. Like, it looks good on him. It does, and he looks great in the Mandalorian. Like he, yeah, yeah. What a like, his, his hair, his, he, his hair thinned out just enough. Yeah, yeah. just to like be like you do look like you've aged, but it works. <laughs> you know, he's got like a. Whew, all right, that's as far as it went. He looks like a natural somebody who naturally is in his fifties. Well, he's in his fifties, by the way. He was kind of old in this movie. Unbelievable. Um, he is like we said, the new stew. Mm-hmm. He is ultimately the killer. I will say, I thought the reveal was a little 
too over the top in terms mm-hmm. of like how he performs it. Oh, oh I completely agree. I completely uh, agree. Yeah, I, yeah, he's like, okay, he's, it's go. almost like he's mimicking Stu and yeah. it's like this simulacrum of an already over the top performance from Lillard. And it's like, he's like, <laughs> you see, I'm uh, crazy it's, now. <laughs> it's there. Yeah. It is there from the get go though, because one of the things there I from noticed, gecko. yeah. Oh, gecko for Gordon gecko. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but when you look no at the, when you look Dodge at how, coin is good. when you look at God, how go, Ghostface is killing Marine, he does this like lean back, like when he's like stabbing, he's like, ah, like, like very theatrical. And it's like, oh, that's Mickey. Like that's the, that's the, the, the character of Mickey is so flamboyant. And so like, I'm going to steal the room and, and suck out all the energy. And like, he does it in every scene. And when he stabs Maureen in the beginning, I never noticed it before. And it was just this, this time he like leans back in pleasure. And I thought that was kind of cool that you could kind of see that, like that his, his psychosis was early on in this movie. Like, so when you look back and you're like, Oh, it does add up. Like they, it is him. Like, I've never really seen that so much in the other movies where like you could actually tell who the killer is in the ghost face, like by their Mm. body language. Like it was one of the first times I really in hindsight was able to see that. Um, I don't know. For Mickey, with Mickey's weird for me because it's like it's so obvious it's him because he vanishes like halfway through the movie. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Where the hell do you go? Well, that's a th- Mike, that's a thing though. Is that this is rewrite hell, right? Because yeah. that was not the plan originally. No. You know, they had to kind of figure that out on the fly. So, and their defense the is kind of like, well, here I we think go. The four killers may sound like a lot, but I think it it all makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And again, we can go over. I, I think there's some cruel stuff when you are rewatching too. Is the fact that. Mickey is the first person that Sydney opens up to about her fears of yeah. of the terror not being over with at the hospital. Oh, yeah, it's, it's such just, a fucking the, menacing the, scene. Sydney is it's just so... the, the hellster. We'll get to Sydney later, but in terms of like what she has to deal with in every movie at the end of these movies. Um, okay, question. Well, that's not really a question. She, she he's killed by Sydney and Gail ultimately. They, and both, I do, they both fire, right? Yeah. Y- yes, and I and I I mean I just have to call out like one of the best lines in any of the movies, which is like you're forgetting one thing about Billy Loomis. Oh yeah, what's that? I fucking killed Dope him. him. Like Great I line. mean, just like good. it's like I just every time I go like, whoa, yeah, girl, go yeah. get his ass, and like yeah, it's just for, I love it. For any Oliphant stands again, I, no joke. Deadwood and Justified are my top ten TV shows of all time. I justified, Incredible. so fucking good. I just it think maybe go and get just, my. It, didn't, it made didn't. me good get my cowboy boots resold because I said I'm wearing cowboy boots from now on. <laughs> I, I will. So, so here's the thing. I, I was thinking about this. With, I feel like this role followed him for a while because he was always kind of like that wild card character Go. up until yeah, and like the girl, the the girl Go next door. He's always playing that sort of like fringe, like you know, sexy evil type of guy. Until that the, hairline. It's it, that hairline. Yeah, it's like the Jack Nicholson style hairline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't until like yeah I feel like Deadwood and Justify where he was able to turn it around and be more of a hero you know yeah. he's um, a like, Sigma male yeah, here's, exactly. here's a sub question here's a sub question I had on this so in, in a what if like Toby McGuire is actually considered for this role and I will say if Toby McGuire got this role he's not Spider Man like there's no yeah. way yeah there's I, just absolutely no way he gets Spider Man yeah, after this because he could he wouldn't have had. It would have been like his like charming little boy looks were mm-hmm. inverted. So well, I could see, see Toby McGuire playing a creep. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because he has those kind of looks that are right on the cusp of like I'm the golden boy or I'm a murderer. Um, so I, I could see this have tipping have tipped him over into being typecast as more of like a psych. You know, like what Elijah Wood is trying to do with himself. Yes. Now I love Elijah Wood, but I mean he's he's trying he he is using those boyish big eyed looks to be 
creepy. Hey, they're both creepy characters in uh, the Ice Storm. My go-to movie for Kevin Klein with my girlfriend. I love it. Let's let's throw on the Ice Storm. Yeah, love it. <laughs> it's a great I movie. Love that movie. One Don't of my faves. One of my faves. Uh, fun fact for all you Halloween fans out there: one of the Ghostface stuntmen was Chris Durand, who played Michael Myers oh. in Halloween H two O. One of the worst. Michael another Myers. scream. Ah. Another scream kind of movie that came out. In well, there's a there's another H two O connection on Scream Two. Let me, me, score? let me let me let me uh there's, there's a couple but yeah <laughs> no the editor patrick lucier yes oh, who did yeah. who by the way directed dracula 2000 <laughs> and <laughs> also wrote a shitty script for halloween returns or something like that yeah h2o mimic west craven's new nightmare uh, mimic red eye music oh, red of the eye. heart he was he must have been a he must have been a west craven favorite well, that's why he did he also directed wishmaster that's why, because yeah. he was on. He was the assistant to uh, Wes Craven for years and years and years. I like the Craven, the, the Craven cadre. The Craven cadre. Patrick Lussier Craven would go on to do uh, My Bloody Valentine and Drive Angry. Mm. Uh, the theatrical movies of those. How about that? Rough. Here we go. Now we're getting cooking here. It only took three hours. <laughs> Let's talk about Sidney Prescott in our next category called Everybody's a Suspect. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Okay. I got a lot here yeah. about Neff Campbell as Sydney. Um, at this point in, in the character's career, at this point in the character's life, she's used to the prank calls. We get the right off the bat. She's used to being kind of harassed. She's got the call tracer. Um. It's, it's a really strange dynamic because where I think that she's und- indisputably the lead of Scream, I feel like it becomes much more of an ensemble. And even in the second half, you're following, it feels like, mm-hmm. until the very end, Dewey and Gale a lot more. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what everybody else feels about that take. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I was trying to think, like, if this is my favorite of uh, you know entry for all the characters uh just because i just you know I mean, it's mm. my favorite entry but i just think that this is like probably like where all the characters come alive and they, also look just to preamble for this section everyone's like super hot in this movie <laughs> so like, ridiculously yeah. hot. i can't Insanely stand it hot. Like, like randy's too hot to be the geek anymore he is. Yeah. he's so but, he's but got he's like perfectly, that's thin. like the 80s hot thing where like all the yep. geeks in those early 80s yeah. movies are hot as hell like ripped like he got in shape and he's got his he got a he got a better haircut and I do like all of his shirts. He's got some he's got some well, primo that's, that's style. That's the thing is like one. I think the style you look at the first one and everyone's wearing and you wore it too uh, in the cosplay. It's got that neon pea green like <laughs> weird mid nineties like fifties style throwback thing that didn't really last long. This is like a perfect era because you look back at that first season of Buffy everyone's got some really cool like throwback 70s threads but it's also modern enough where it's still stationary in that in that they all, era they shopped at Gadzooks at Gadzooks. Chicago Ridge Mall or, 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 or even Gap because Pac-Sun. there's a lot of Gap here and Pac-Sun. oh D- uh, Dewey's whole uh, ensemble I think is from Gap because I think I had that same jacket and shirt but cue, I, I, cue the Hans Zimmer music but I say all this because <laughs> when I think of Sidney Prescott I think of this movie even though I, I, I almost want to say Scream Three probably has the best Sydney arc for her, just because it's so built on her. It does. Strangely enough, it does. As yeah. much as I have issues with Scream Three, I think it does. It does good by Sydney. But the seeds of her character are not in Scream, but in this one. And I think that it all comes down to the way that they use the Cassandra Greek. You know, that's a good mythology. transition. Right. So let's yeah. talk about this for a bit because 
Cassandra, it's from the play Agamemnon. Agamemnon. Thanks for making it so difficult to pronounce things, Greek people back in the day. Thanks, right. Greeks. Thanks, gods. Um, and Agamemnon, Agamemnon was part of the Oresteia <laughs> trilogy of plays that dealt with murder and revenge. And obviously, that's what the stream series is all about, murder and revenge. Both Cassandra and, and Sydney and are cursed. cursed by fate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, one of the curses is by a god. The other one's because people are mad that Sydney's mom had affairs with people. <laughs> Both are unfair, either way. And so that obviously plays a huge part of the coincidence. I think I did some joke tweet, like, you know, people don't talk about enough how Scream 2 is emblematic of it. It, it, it like, took off. I was like, he's like, yeah, we've been talking about this for 25 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do have some questions here, though. Very important question. Uh, how do we feel about the character of Sydney Prescott as an actor? Laura, your thoughts. Well, what what do you mean? You mean like her as, as starring as Cassandra yes. in the play? How do you feel about the monologue? Well, I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and blame the director. Uh, uh, you know, Gus I mean, Gold. it's 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 Greek it's Greek tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's all about reciting in a very stagey fashion to the like, you know. So I don't really know. I all I can think about in that sequence is why did she agree to be in this play? I know. And what's her as, What's her major anyway? It's like, I guess she must be in drama. Yeah, I don't fucking know. That. It's unclear. This, there's way too much production value for a college play, having been to, you know, tried to get involved in several college plays at, at UIC. Well, I, you got I David Warner like, directing it. You know, he brought true. the money. I know. But and then it's like, no, nobody Gold. thought that perhaps this would be a little triggering to her. And like, why do they all look so surprised when she has a panic attack <laughs> when they're all trying to stab her while murders are going on? I Everyone's know. like, what could be going on? And it's like, uh, what do you think, you morons? Like, well, I guess you know, I think, to be, I have to so be many fair, questions about I think this. the movie begins with her kind of showing that she has adjusted pretty well since Scream. So I guess everything was going fine until the murder started to happen again, right? Right. I she think. had just started to recover. Yeah. She had just started dating this guy. She was, you know, do, it, it feels it feels about right for the the timeline of the movie and her being a, a young woman who's trying to move on with her life. Like yeah. she probably accepted this role because she was like, I'm going to maybe even use this as kind of an art therapy or processing tool or something. And, and she has that weird dynamic with the director who seems to sort of uh, paternal toward her. Yeah. I could see all of that. I'm just like, he shouldn't have been like, yeah, just do it. He should have been like, yeah, maybe take some time off. Yeah. There's a bunch of murders going on, and this is not going to be helpful to you. Well, <laughs> like, she even says, like, I can do it. And he says, I don't believe you. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, just give give her a moment here. Give her a moment. Wait for her to have a, a steely look scene. in her eye and say yeah. that she can handle it. <laughs> I needed more David Warner in this movie. I would have liked to have had more David Warner Me too. as a teacher yeah. throughout. But, uh, Underrated actor. Killer. Well, because hey. his his appearance has so much gravitas. Like he's suddenly oh, yeah. there. He's suddenly in the center of the screen, and he's like, he's got that that presence, you know. So and it's and it's a bit of a of a make good because originally yeah. there was makeup tests and everything. He was going to be Freddy Krueger, yeah. but he uh, I think he was allergic to the makeup or something it's, like that. I heard allergic to the makeup, time, and I also heard had issues. another had another contract or yeah. something that he has. On. Is this the best month in in David Warner's career, considering that he was also in Titanic? Wow, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty good, David he Warner. Cleaned David house. Warner got all the money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never had to work again. Yeah. And he's bad. great in waxwork. Like, if any, any Halloweenies want us to do waxwork, I know you keep you keep we can, in this. I can talk about David Warner all day, yeah. but we can't because I don't actually have notes from because <laughs> he's he's so he's not in this movie enough, so I couldn't do it. Steve minor role. Steve, <laughs> there are no minor roles, only major actors. Um, okay, here, I do have a couple things here about Sydney. There's a Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon joke, and she would, of course, appear with Kevin Bacon a year later in Wild Things. Mm. The actor, Neff Campbell, not Sidney Prescott. Although, who knows? Maybe in this world, Sidney Prescott went on to become an actor 
before After her gangbusters performance in that Greek play. Agamemnon, I pronounced it correctly you know, this time. Uh, you know what I think works? What works in her favor here is the fact that she looks so tired. And mm-hmm. and I think that works in the sense of her being the survivor. And mm-hmm. also in the fact that like she was pretty much working around the clock because she had you know party of five at the time. And I and I was reading that like when she went into party of five, she would just have like no sleep because she was literally doing this from like I think like Wednesday to Sunday. And then party of five from Monday to Wednesday and she just would or Monday to Tuesday and she just wouldn't sleep. And I think a lot of that plays into this really well. It's kind of like if you look at the behind the scenes history for Back to the Future with like Michael J. Fox, he was doing the same thing with Family Ties. And that actually really works to his performance in that movie because he looks just so like out of it and and kind of chaotic and frantic and and on the edge and, and wired. And obviously that's what my Marty McFly would be like if you fucking time traveled the 1950s and saw your parents. <laughs> and I think the same thing works to the effect here with her because I believe that Sydney's going through shit. Well, this. that's what I want to talk about because you I know? think people, she does a lot of crying in these movies. And I don't say that with any, any cruelty or criticism. I'm, I'm trying to say that like Robert De Niro is one of the worst on-screen criers of all time. It's just not an easy thing to do. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's really not. It's... And and you, I, I've never watched it and didn't buy a beat of her seemingly being stressed yeah. or highly upset. Even just with with that great look of suspicion she gives people without saying mm-hmm. a word. I think she's really her, good. In these she, movies. she has really good. She gives really good face. Like her, her a lot of subtle, subtle emotions are communicated very yeah. well by her. And I do, I do. You really feel for her, especially like in the the latter half of the movie when she's watching her friends and her boyfriend, you know, just get, killed get just one by one, and she's just like so. And you can just see how much she's internalizing it and blaming herself because I mean that is that is a big part of Sydney's arc is this feeling like she is cursed and everyone around her like she is this poison that infects every person in her life and she can't get close to people because of that and I think it's like it adds to the connection she shares with Dewey and Gail because mm-hmm. it's almost like they're they're all in it they're all in the same yeah. cur- cursed boat and it's what really bonds them. Um, and I, you know, you, re- I just really feel for Sydney throughout this series, and it's again why I like her getting a little bit of a break at the end of Scream Three. Yeah, which she got ten year break, and they don't <laughs> use like too much exposition to, to exfoliate this. Although there are some lines where I'm just like, okay, Williamson, tone it down. And this is so emblematic of his writing, like when she's like a pseudo quasi happy existence. I'm just like, uh, like yeah, like you yeah. didn't need to grow so hard. Like, calm <laughs> down. To be fair, and even Kevin Williamson said, looking back on a lot of his yeah. '90s stuff, especially, he cringes because he says, he says, I'm not that the type of writer anymore. And so much of that is so him. You yes. know, you can't mm-hmm. escape that bubble. Like, like the first season of Dawson's Creek, we, we were trying oh to read a stream and it's just too, it's so cringy. It's, I'm, and sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So here's a couple things here. I know the movie ends kind of on a triumphant note with the collective soul song kicking in and the, the big overarching <laughs> shot. But I want you to think about this. He's leaving a crime scene in which yet again, another boyfriend of hers is dead. <laughs> who she also suspected the entire time of being the killer and he ended up being, you know, just a good good guy. Justin, did you read that the uh, one of the endings had a ghost face? Yes, looking up at in the uh, yes, yeah, up in like tower. the clock tower or something. Like Which Batman. I kind of thought would have been pretty good, actually. I don't know, I kind of like that. But another best friend is dead a year later. So and she's walking away all by herself. Yeah, you really. I, 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 that's all I could. That's really genuinely all I could think about when I was watching that shot of her walking away, and she's just like. 
I want to, I was like, I think I wrote my notes, like, I want to, like, go and hang out with Sydney for a few weeks immediately yeah. after this, because, like, she needs someone, and, like, as we see at the at the beginning of Scream 3, obviously, this is, like, the beginning of her mm-hmm. isolation, you know, yep. um, and she, she is, like, the true final girl in that moment, like, having to bear the weight. I like, though, that they don't, like, have her, like, crack under mm-hmm. the pressure of all this trauma. Yeah. That is a definite trope in sequels and in horror movies, like, Texas Chainsaw Mass, you know, like, this kind of thing where, like, the, they've endured so much psychological trauma these final girls that they just they're doomed right and i don't i don't like that i like that sydney is as strong as she is but at the same time i mean my heart goes out to her you know we'll say she walks away collective soul swells immediately texas uh, excuse me ma'am uh, we, we got some questions here like <laughs> you can't just walk away from a fucking crime scene like i mean give me a break you have like six fucking people dead in uh, the theater well, yeah, we'll, was, we'll, we'll get you where are you sleeping. going you, you back to the dorm. What do you first off? What are you going to do back then? Like, is she going to go to like you know Panera and get a, a sandwich or like, like what do you do? Do you go you home and take a shower? I'm going to the bar. I'm going to go. I'm <laughs> yeah. going you straight get, to the you bar. You get a bottle of vodka and an extra large pizza. Oh, that sounds really good right now. Actually, yeah, yeah. it does. Oh <laughs> but seriously, like, I mean, what is the? We always. <laughs> You have all these triumphant endings. That music's not really playing. She's just walking away. I just always think about that in these movies where it's just like, it's kind of silent. You know, the, quad... it's the equivalent of people on the phone who just hang up the phone without saying goodbye. You know, yeah. it's in movies you're like, wait, wait, say goodbye. Say goodbye. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. If, she, uh, if you were actually in her shoes at that moment, like that would fucking suck so much ass. Suck. Like you'd just be like, Oh gee, you know, like, I mean, talk, I mean, yeah. And it's like, if you, again, if you want to get more into it, listen to our, uh, our scream, uh, Sydney's arc series mm-hmm. on psychoanalysis. Cause our, our Mike Snoonian gets really into the trauma side of it and the PTSD side of it and what mm. that, what that physiologically does to you and, and how we see Sydney process her trauma and react to it. I, it's really, I mean, it's a really, it's a big thing to unpack, but I think mm-hmm. that these movies do a good job of, of defining and fleshing out her character in response to these events. Yeah. yeah. I would agree a hundred percent on that. I think that they always treat her, even in, I mean, on all four movies, honestly, to a certain extent, they're still exploring that character. So let's talk a little bit about the ghost face of it all. So at the sorority house, who do we think is attacking Sydney in that scene? Cause we see Mickey leave with the crowd to go across the street and then uh, Loomis is talking to Gail just before that, and she leaves. Yes. So do we think maybe Mickey cut back around? I think it's Mickey. It has to be. Oh, wait. He's also the one that says, why did Derek go back in the house? Mm-hmm. And how would he know that? So it's this probably is, Mickey. This is where like a lot of the script changes gets a little sure. awry. Because I just yeah. can't imagine Mrs. Loomis in the outfit here. Like, I just can't. Like, well, I think it's, I mean, I'll spoil I think Mickey was always in the ghost face casting. Right? That's, and maybe Mrs. Loomis is on the phone. She's in, definitely, she's we'll we'll talk the, about that yeah. in a second because there's definitely a scene where that's going on. Yes. The only, there one, there's one moment I think it might be her. And again, it's, it's tied to my Randy thing is she might mm-hmm. be in the van. She is, yeah. And, yeah. and because, because it's right after he says the thing about Billy that the mm-hmm. person in the van grabs and pulls him in. Also during that scene, it's harder to see the, the, the size of mm-hmm. the killer because right. they're in this really closed space. And all the other shots you get the, the, you know, the, the size of the killer and the broad shoulders and everything is really apparent, but it's less apparent in that van moment. So, and she I, acts very similarly when, when Sydney is talking about Billy at the end of the movie tour. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She, she like she, what she did just you say sets about my her son? off. Yeah. It sets her yeah. off. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. 
like Curly on the Three Stooges hearing uh, Niagara Falls. <laughs> 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 totally I turn, step by step. I mean, that has to be a callback to Mrs. Voorhees, though. Because, I mean, it sure, really... something, too. Yeah, Revenge for the yeah. sun. Yeah. Because when she mentions Jason, or when she starts talking about Jason, she, like, goes into delirium. I think we even joked that we were, like, if I was Alice, and be like, who are you looking at? <laughs> right. All right, well, let's talk about our next character. Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. I don't think she was Courtney Cox Arquette yet. I think they got married after mm-hmm. Scream 2, right? Yeah, it's, I think for the third one is when they have their first I'll say two. this. We talked about this in Scream, but you can absolutely see the love mm-hmm. between I the know. two of these people. I know it's not I, just acting. Like, you could see it. It's That's like, they're, they're, I, I, I wrote in my notes at some point, like, I was, I really, you know those small t-shirts with, like, airbrushing on them? <laughs> I really, oh, I really want to get... One at- we had one at Chicago Ridge Mall. Absolutely, I'm sure, you know, yeah. And I really want to get one that's got like the hearts and it's like Gail, Dewey, forever. Gail loves Dewey, yeah. Gail, you know, like I just, that's the feeling they give me. They give me like, I want to draw, the, carve their names into a tree. You know, they just give me that like, and it's so, the so 90s-ness of it is what I really want that as a t-shirt. Like I have the whole design in my head and just not the artistic ability to do it. But if anyone's listening. <laughs> this is a Halloweenies for sale product we're going to have to make. I think yeah. it's I'm telling be in our you, shop. it's in my head so clearly i could sketch it out and um but anyway i just yeah they're again their um like true romance really anchors this their this whole franchise emotionally for me and just seeing Mm -hmm. the way they come together and they have so much chemistry and they're so sweet i love it i yeah i really do love their their romance here and and it's so sam and diane without being sam and diane too like it's Mm. they they, it's almost like they're just putting on that false exterior just because they have to um and it's from two different worlds they are, yeah, and because I think, do they ever explain what happened? Why they didn't stick it out? Other I think than like, deal with what, the what he wrote killed. in the book. Yeah. <laughs> they they explain it in the third one, like whatever happens between them or whatever. But I don't know that they explain it between one and two. Yeah, I, I think, think she it's also because she's a well, different she went person. Off to go, like I think she was involved yeah. in the movie tour, yeah. and she she was she was still she was it's still extremely selfish ambition. at this point. Well, I mean, yeah. think about think about the ending. For both movies, like the the first one, she goes right to the camera, right? Second one, she goes to Dewey. There That's a good point. You know? That's showing okay. the evolution of her character in mm-hmm. valuing a person more than the product. Mm-hmm. Did anyone... It's funny because I was watching it and maybe it's just because I'm like, you know, trying to kick smoking again. But like, wasn't... Weren't you kind of taken aback when you see her smoking in the scene? It's like, wow. I noticed it like right away, like, because I don't think you see her smoke anywhere else in the movie i don't think so it's just what one scene i don't remember if she smoked in the first one i don't mm-hmm. think she smokes in any other ones that i can uh, recall it didn't really register to me but i was probably looking at her hair oh uh, my goodness yeah i love her hair in this though i, I do uh, i do I 97 i was qu- i was still she might i think she gets the stone cold fox of the episode yep I mean, it's Nev Campbell. No. Yeah, she's. I mean, Nev she, Campbell for me. Is I mean, still both of them heart. to me. I look at. It, I was sitting here going, "Oh, they were just both so dreamy." Oh my god! I, I always have a. My heart will always be there for Nev Campbell. It's that outfit, forever. though. Like highlights were, were highlights like a relatively new thing in the nineties. That was like. like a, I don't know that they were. I, I could not tell you if they were new, but I, I remember that kind of highlighting being really popular at that time, yes. and like even into the early two thousands, I had the like I, I went and got like that color red, like streaky same. hair. Oh, same. Yeah. Well, that was I definitely wanted going it. I on. wanted it for like, myself. I thought it looked yeah, so Vanderbilt, fucking cool. Your favorite band, Sugar Ray. They were doing the the, the hot tips too. That was well, the that frosted was more the frosted, frosted tips. tips. That's a the, frosted tip. Well, that's still going on this movie too. Mickey's doing the frosted tips a little bit in this movie, and maybe even. Is Randy have a little frosted tip thing going no, on? No, 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 no. No, it's he just doesn't. kind of gelled up, but it's not oh, fr- okay. it's yeah. not frosted. 
It's more mask or more Ace Ventura esque. I actually tried. So I tried to do these because I used to have really long hair, like Anthony Kiedis and Eddie Vedder style long hair. And Herbal Essence released like one of those things where you just have like a little comb and you could just kind of comb oh, through it. And I remember it my never worked out as well as you wanted it to. And you just did it because that's because that's what happened. And I did it, and I thought it was gonna be the red, like the red uh, streaks, just like uh, Gales. And it turned out that it turned bl- like blonde. So I had these like gold locks. <laughs> That works. That just Gold, melted Goldilocks and splotched. Rotten. So my fucking hair looked like nuts. And so I always think about that whenever I see her hair in this. I oh, love her hair. I mean, I know I that, wanted it so bad. I did. I'm it was telling so you, that was my cool. look from like probably 2004 through 2008 or nine. I had like that kind of red hair. I would wear it mm. at about that length, and I had it was like in big red chunks. <laughs> Uh, it's it's just, a good look. There's a self-awareness how everyone looks in this movie because, you know, if anyone was prepared, it was going to be them because, you know, they go into Scream 1. No one really expected that movie to be as fucking huge in gangbusters as it became. Going into 2, you know everyone was like, all right, I got to look fucking 10 out of 10 here. And they do. Everyone in this movie is fucking hot. Even the teacher teaching the fucking film class looks good. <laughs> like, I, I, it's like everyone David just Warner's knew. fit, you know? David Warner's like, I better, I better get in the, sh- well, you know, I better get the... the that's what I find really amusing about that film class moment at the beginning where they're all like nerding out about sequels. I'm like, I do not believe that this, I mean, sure. One or two, but everybody in the class would like in this <laughs> class would look this good being this well, geeky. Like I do not buy it's it. <laughs> Kevin Williamson, Dawson's Creek era where everybody's mm-hmm. just gorgeous. Yep. Yep. You know? Kevin Williamson's universe is like Quentin Tarantino's and that everybody in these movies has seen every one of those yep. fucking movies. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, who, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I was in film studies and classes in college and nobody knew shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the fantasy world that Kevin Williamson wants to live in. Yes. Yes. Total fantasy. I, whereas like the first one you watch, like we were talking about the romance, right? Between, and you could see it unfold on screen and you can, but I think it's kind of impossible when you look at like David Arquette and he's like, he is so charming in this movie in ways that I just didn't find him charming in the first one. Like, I think he's, I think he's affable in the first one, but He's, he puts on a charm here, and a lot of it's like that hard-boiled, like limp that he has. That yeah. is the limp is he is the limp real or is the limp fake in? In the, the universe, in the, third one. in the movie, Randy I think it's real. Yeah. I think it's real. Severed nerve, yeah, like he's yeah. got real damage. I think it's he's supposed damaged. to be like a red herring that they they try to throw in there. Yeah. And then they bring back the scar tissue at the end when he, they're wheeling him out. Mm-hmm. Like that's what saves him. I right? know it's so silly. <laughs> this is what, like two years after the Usual Suspects, right? Yeah, oh, you were right. thinking they were going to yeah. do a Kaiser Soze where he would uh, like suddenly be walking that. upright and you know pull yeah. the knife out. That could yeah, have been a remnant of one of the old scripts. I mean, who the yeah. fuck knows? Yeah. Well, it was one of those dummy drafts. Dewey was the killer, so maybe that was something yeah. that was kind of in right. there. You know, that would make As sense. As I was watching this in 1997, I was just again, just like the first one on Edge. Oh, they're not going to make. Please don't make Dewey the killer. Please don't make Dewey the killer. Mm-hmm. And then they, for all intents and purposes, killed him, and I was physically upset. Oh, for the rest of the movie. So you were upset That's about something. that. I was, it's such I, an upsetting scene. It's, so... it's it's an upsetting scene. I wish they had just gone through with it, though. I know. It, it, well, here's the thing. Looking I mean, I don't know now, if we're going like, to talk about this I mean, it would later. change the entire dynamic of the series, obviously, right? Because mm-hmm. the whole series it, is essentially about those three. Yeah. Right. But That's I, why I'm does... like, I'll forgive the schmaltzy ending, because it's like, don't kill yeah. Dewey. <laughs> well, because every I movie think... has that, like, oh, they're actually alive, you know? I don't think it undercuts it, because it play it calls back to the first one, where you find out mm-hmm. Dewey's still alive, where you always think that he's dead, and it's kind of like, now it's a joke in the series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, just, I just remember being in the theater... 
when that scene it's a great scene the sound mm-hmm. the soundproof booth oh. and then she's right one of the best sequences him. in the movie yeah, yeah. it's I really powerful I, I remember being extremely affected by that and i did feel a little undercut at the end like okay well it just it's not as impactful now sure. knowing that he lives it just, it just oh, i had a big you know? sigh of relief like that that's how invested into it i was during well, that sound mike, I, I I just want, sigh mike of... vanderbilt i want things to be a little more imaginative you know i mean i want things so people do no, you, you, want, you want them to be gritty and real you want them yeah, to be a little twisted I, I think like, i was relieved yeah, mostly... pictures uh, home of my favorite series saw. <laughs> god so twisted um so i think up. i was relieved just because they had already killed such a huge character i was like no you don't take two of them for me keep it <laughs> like, going keep it going I know, but I, in hindsight, I do wish Kill they them did. all. You know, I wish they were just like I wish they didn't Kill pull them all. Let gra- grandfather time sort them out. Yeah, <laughs> we kind of alluded to this, but I do the the scene with Randy, which is also in the teaser trailer, where they're kind of going back and forth with, well, if I'm a suspect, then you're a suspect. Mm-hmm. Very funny bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Very yeah. funny bit. Yeah. I, I guess we kind of tackled Gale and Dewey at the same time there, so we can kind of move on, right? We we talked about them a lot in the Scream episode too. So I have a question: Why hmm. is Dewey's shoe off at the end, though? <laughs> Like, because he got stabbed so hard in the back, the shoe, shoe went flying. Yeah, that's what happens. Just technically speaking, from like yeah. a forensic perspective. Oh lord! They do blood <laughs> splatter and shoe scatter. Mm-hmm. She's like, like wheeling him into the ambulance. I'm like, what the fuck is his shoe doing off? Like, I don't he know. went through a lot. He was wearing like you know, packs on sandals or something like that. He's wearing like boots or shoes. Well, if you had us mentioning packs on twice in this episode. Yeah, well, you never congratulations. Little drinking game uh, for you. Do it. In okay, reverse. here we go. Randy Meeks. Okay. All right. I loved Randy Meeks going Damn. to this movie. I it took me about a minute after he was shown dead in the van to really accept the fact that he was actually dead. I, I could not I was I, I can't remember if I'd ever been that shocked before in a movie theater. Like I was really couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I, it. I uh had to go see this movie again the next day because I was apoplectic in the fucking theater when that happened. Like cat was like we were both just like I can't fucking believe that we were just livid to the point where I missed like the next five to ten minutes of the movie. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, what about I, you? I uh, think they, I think well, I just say I think they made a big mistake in killing off because he's the droids. As far he mm. should have been the droids mm-hmm. to Star Wars, where everything's kind of through Randy's point of view because he's kind of the one explaining to the audience what's going on in, in the sense of like, this is a horror movie, this, uh, cause they, they work around it by three, but I don't think Williamson necessarily intended it for it to be a trilogy, especially uh, the ending where he had Sydney and cotton dying. Mm-hmm. But I think killing Randy off, like, yes, it's shocking and it works on that visceral level, but I think it's a mistake for the movie because you, you should have him in every movie kind of explaining he what's happening. He has the great chorus, if you will. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. that's perfect. That's, yeah, a, that's like the that. best way to describe it. Yeah. Much like that play. Uh, and what? Annie, Annie Menmon. Uh, <laughs> Aggie <laughs> Menmon, go get your gun. I think it, is fe- it, it, felt like a, it felt like a betrayal, though, because you give us this character that hadn't really been given to us before, mm. which was us, which is the people that loved and built this, this genre. And I think one of the reasons why I had such a strong and terse reaction to it was that it felt as if they were taking the soul of what I loved out of this movie. And, and I think that's what, what I, you know, I, I come to terms with it now because now I love it because I think it ups the stakes considerably yeah, in a does. way that this really franchise does. never goes back to. Mm-hmm. 
I would 100% agree with that. And that's that, that's I think that's one of the problems with the franchise. If you did that, then you got to go in. You can't you you, yeah. you can't fucking pull your punches again. Well, that's why I'm kind of fascinated with those alternate drafts when like Dewey dies, Gale dies, like they all die. It's like, oh, okay. And that's why, you know, once Randy dies and then Dewey is stabbed, you're not thinking for a second that Dewey's going to live at that point, right? You're thinking, oh, Dewey's dead. It would make sense if they killed Dewey in the third movie or something like that. Because mm. if you're going to like, you have to keep killing the more and more beloved characters once you start that game, I guess. Right. Which I don't know how I feel about it. I, I really don't. I, I, I can see both sides of it because I agree that at some point, if you don't keep upping the stakes, it takes power out of the films. But I'll, at the same time, I'm like, I don't want that from these movies. I want to enjoy well, the Scream movies, you know. It's complicated because unlike other franchises where you are replacing the cast every time. You literally do build a relationship. Well, not literally, but thematically. You build a relationship with these characters as opposed to those other franchises. Right. So it is harder. Even if you're like, well, it, it might be better for the story if one of my favorite characters is dead. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't want to miss Randy going forward. I love Randy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, just, I'm just saying I'll never forget that. Yeah. Um, and it's also after one of the biggest laughs Remember in theaters when he says the fuck you? Yeah. yeah. Fuck you. That's a, like that's that's a huge great, laugh in theaters. That whole, it was such a juxtaposition because he's, yeah. in the, he's having his hero moment and then it's kill, it's taken from him. And then to add insult to injury, you get the fucking Cottonmouth Kings uh, like oh. playing. I know. Those guys, they do him so dirty. They do him so... I was laughing last night because like, I completely like blame the guy with the boom box and he's like yep. spinning. And I'm like, that is... That's another Lara moment where they have the, the really weird song yeah, coming I'm like, after again, character's rude. death. Yeah, I'm like, The guy's like dancing and twisting. It was a rough month for me. I mean, between this and then, you Kings. know, two weeks fucking later, I, I go back and see Kings. my all-time fave, all-time crush, Leonardo DiCaprio fall and kill it and like t- Titanic mm-hmm. rough times. Yeah. I, I, wrote saying, about it. Right? I actually wrote about this in, uh, in 2017 for the 20th anniversary of all this. And like for consequences sound, like I wrote the, this piece about how like this month was just, it was just like pop culture depression for me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like, you, you, you went to go see Romeo and Juliet and he died at the end. Like you didn't know. Well, that he did. It did die, he died. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> that was, what? After, that was like a year beforehand. I think they or, both died. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that was really rough because they changed the ending for that, if you recall. Because in the ending of well, Romeo and Juliet, poison, isn't it? Well, not only that, but she wakes up, and he's still al- alive. Huh? I don't oh, remember right, this at right all. Right before, mm-hmm. as he's fading away, and that's the big dagger that's, to the that's, heart. Oof. Oh, because they have like they share a moment where they see each other, kind of a thing. Yeah, and and then he realizes his folly, which isn't in the original story. Right. It's like they're just dead, and the irony is enough on its face. Yeah. Yep. Oof. Anyway, I was very dis- distraught when, when yeah. he does. Uh, well, you know what? Let's save his some of his controversial takes and film analysis for the reference section, shall we? But, Laura, you want to say something else about Randy? I was just going to say, I mean, I don't know. And I, this is not something I'm super familiar with. I've just picked up the osmosis and, like, headlines that there's a lot of hot takes about Randy now as a character just being kind of, oh. like, quote-unquote problematic. And I don't really fully understand it because I never found his character, I mean— it's like something about him being like a mansplainer annoying. I don't know. Again, I'm asking. I don't really understand what the controversy hey. is. It's just something I'm bringing up because I, I, I know, know it's out sometimes there. It's not, sometimes it's not mansplaining. It's simply explaining. Well, sure. Yeah. And I, I said his character doesn't rub me the wrong way because I think he's actually respectful of Sydney and all this. Like, And he, he has a crush on her, but he's not like a fucking weirdo about it. You know? Yeah, he's not an incel um, about yeah, it. Yeah, he's not. Like, yeah, I think that's the other thing, too, is like, well, is he an incel or something? And like, I don't really, I'm just bringing it up because I know it's it's in the dialogue and discourse out there, the discourse with a capital D. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't, well, I yeah. never fully, apologize I just, it was one of those rabbit holes. I like chose not to go down when I became aware of it because I was like, I just, 
Uh, well, think about it, right? Because yeah. in the the major times he's explaining stuff in Scream is to two men, mm-hmm. and he's he's explaining it to the whole group of men and women at the end of Scream, and he's telling the rules to Dewey. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the one time is maybe the CC, but he's also arguing with Mickey at the same time. So I don't know I if I can go up. down that role. I, I just, no, no, no. I've seen no, it too. I a lot of people, people that have people have probably brought something up. That, yeah. There's some things that, are, that deserve the discourse. And there's some things but, we have to find better time to spend with our lives. I also think a lot of it like is discourse. The, Sometimes, Sometimes you don't. You, don't. Uh, you know what I mean? I think the career of Jamie, Jamie Kennedy hasn't reflected great he, on the Maybe that has something to do with the two <laughs> people are just true. transferring their Jamie the Kennedy feelings. Per- Speaking yeah. of which, Justin, I watched a kind of collection of the best. Yes. I, I think it was just the ending of the New Year's special. And it feels fake. Like I It know. feels like everything is terrible. Cut that thing together. But I, apparently it is all 100% real. This went this, this Went straight to hell, New Year's special. I talked about in the last episode. Late, too. It's like 2013. I yeah. thought it was going to be a 90s thing. Ugh. Anyway. And the joke, when he when he brings the chick on stage to talk about. Oh. Uh, <laughs> go, search, search just the, watch it. Google Jamie Candy New Year's special. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> read, read, read about it and watch the yes. video. Yes, you do. Okay. It's like the, it, it reminded me of the ending of the Oscars this year where they're like, Anthony Hopkins isn't here. Have a good night. And it just ends. It's really <laughs> awkward. Um, <laughs> I look back at this though, and I get kind of sad for him because he looks great. He looks great here. He's his performance is, is 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 wonderful, and he just never got the career that I felt he deserved. Son of the mask, right around the corner. Yeah, that and like he just kind of pivoted into like really shitty comedies, and like it sucks because he's his the dramatic chops here. I I, feel, I think are fucking awesome. Yeah, I and, think and, he's and really it, good in these movies altogether. Oh yeah, terrific. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked a lot about the characters Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens played by Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps a lot, I think, right? We've already kind of covered the both of them. I I covered what I wanted to say about that whole sequence. So, I mean, yeah, we talked about, they're in the whole, we talked about the entire opening sequence and Omar Epps, very charming. I always liked him. And Jada Pinkett, beautiful, great performance from her in that death sequence, you know? Yeah. Well, Jada Pinkett was in Minnesota Society. Um, And she's also in, I love Demon Knight. Not, um, she had a good. She yes. had a really solid career. I mean, she's actually going to be in the upcoming Matrix Four, and she I had, such had a, a big comeback with Pearl's Trip. Yeah, I look, yeah, great stuff. And Omar Epps, Juice, really good movie. Higher Learning well, is Juice Mike is great. Uh, the great Ernest Dickinson, who also shot Demon Knight. I yeah, believe. he directed Demon Knight. Yeah, he directed it. Yeah. yeah. Laura, you mentioned that Omar Epps had a great run on House MD. Yep. <laughs> Not to be confused with House. And, but for me, also well, there's so many Chicago houses. Is, is it house the the horror franchise? Is it house uh, the Japanese version? Is <laughs> house, it House MD? Two, the well, they're they're rebooting House MD. Did you hear about this? No, what? Oh god! Yeah, why? it's going to be called House MD: The Second Story. I fucking oh, hate Lord. it. Not I hate it so um, much. I knew, okay. it, was I knew well, it was a bit. Like, here we go. <laughs> but I want to say this: Omar Epps and Sana Lathan are in Love and Basketball, you written and directed by Gina Prince Bythewood. One of the top three or five greatest sports movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest romantic dramas of all time, too. I'm telling you, maybe the most movie. underrated movie of that decade. I, that is a great, great, great movie. That is, like, that is no guilty I, pleasure about it. If there's anyone it. that's a scholar on that movie, it's you. And then you're also a scholar on like Return to Me. Oh, Return to Me, great movie as well. Mm, Let's go. Those two. What a great, time, what a great time to be alive. Return to yeah. Me and Love and Basketball. Yeah. Seriously, great movies. Okay. Next character, I have I discovered something about this character's name that I was absolutely blown away by. Elise Neal plays Hallie. It was Callie. No, it's Holly. Hallie. I know, but I used to think it was Callie for some reason. Well, do you know what Hallie's last name is, according to the credits, I think it is? McDaniel? Do you know 
the name of the actor who won Best Supporting Actress for Gone with the Wind, what her name was, the black actress? Oh, Hattie McDaniel. Hattie McDaniel, McDaniel. yeah. Is that, is that supposed to be like a weird reference to that? I don't know. She's the only black, is it like another reference to being a black character? Because if so, kind of a weird about dated choice. stuff. That's kind of a weird... Especially considering Gone with the Wind is not the best yeah, the representation. That, like. And the, it, it's, I, I just, I did not know that fact. And I thought that was yeah. kind of a weird decision. Cause, and that has to be deliberate has to be deliberate yeah. if not it's a that oversight williams yeah the williamson verse where everybody is named after famous actors and actresses or maybe it's also possible though that kevin williamson was a huge fan of the cl supersonics and xavier mcdaniel it's very possible <laughs> i don't want to jump the gun here you know I don't want to jump the gun. star of singles so i think she gives a she's good she's at least, at least neil's a good I, actor she's been around for a I long really time she does it, it's a good she performance a good yeah Love yeah. her in this. Love her in but this. I think she, she does feed into the whole, you know, are you are we just waiting around for our friend to show up? The, the Laura mentioned well, yeah, earlier. Well, yeah, that's, that you know, that's squarely on the writers and not in any way on the actress who does a really, no. I think, does a good job with what she's given here. So I think she's, for me, she's in the most intense sequence of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. The, the car yep. sequence? The car scene. Yeah. Yeah, that is actually, in my opinion, one of the more intense. Such a, that, that's such a theater-built sequence, too. It's like the Mission Impossible wire work sequence, like where yeah. you're just like, you know, everyone's going to be sh- like silent and just like holding their breath the entire time this happens. And it works the best when you're in a theater. And it also works best with there being two people in that scene as opposed yes. to just Sydney. Because mm-hmm. not only are you Sydney dealing with it now, not, uh-huh. and not only are we watching it, now we're watching it from the back seat too. Yeah, and knowing that we have to do the same thing, you yeah. know, and it's just. No, you're, yeah. And the way she's, right. well, we can save that for the next section. Oh, the I, way she's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it just sucks that she's she dies because the way she dies is tragic because she dies by the same trope, you know, where mm. she's just like she's the one that says don't run, you know, like or she she's the one that she actually dies by the trope that you usually do dies in the sense that you run away and don't check the body, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in this case, they do check the body and they don't run and she fucking dies. It's like, it's and it's so also, cool. I mean, it's also, like, she knows she's trying to get Sydney to leave and Sydney's like, no. And then I'm like, yeah. so I think it also adds to like Sydney's guilt and like, I'm, it's yeah, my fault that mm-hmm. I'm getting yep. all in it. And that moment it is maybe a scotcher fault, but like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a tough beat for Howie. Yeah. In that sequence. yeah. Oh, Oh, so it's it's by the way, it's it's gotta be it's Mickey in the car because his head's his oh, head's yeah. bleeding later on. Okay, oh, yeah, that's, that's for established. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Mickey kills Hallie. Oh, and pretty sure Mickey kills Maureen and Phil because we hear it sounds like a man's yeah. voice whispering in the in the stall. So, next character. He got the role by singing a song. Mm. Gary O'Connell is Derek Feldman. This is a Corey oh. Feldman reference, I guess. Kind of weird, right? Maybe, yeah, because the stand by me connection. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love him in this. I think he's so charming. He is. Great, great body. He delivers a masterful performance, I think, especially for this kind of movie. I mm-hmm. like, And I feel like Jer- uh, Jeremy O'Connell at this point in his career, maybe you guys can correct me, it almost feels like Scream, a Scream sequel might be a little bit beneath him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was killing Am I wrong sliders. In, in that? I don't know. No, I, I, sliders I, I was, was kind my of... main association with him, and I don't really know where that stacks in terms of like prestige or how many people were watching it. I'm just not super aware. He kind of disappeared after... He disappeared for most of his teenage years. When he came back as a hunk, everybody was really just kind of shocked. You know, <laughs> well, I remember that. On the Losers Club, we, I talked to him about that. I said, you know, as a former fat kid um, and someone that dealt with like a lot of weight issues, like he was always like a, a, a 
You know how like um, George Costanza looks up to Dennis Franz? Like that's how I looked up to him because I was like, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And he was just like laughing about that or whatever because like you look at like him and Stand By Me and then you look at him here and Scream 2 and you're like, how the fuck is that the same person? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's Anything's possible. Yeah. I Um, think he's, uh, I don't think he's as interesting as Billy if we're talking about the boyfriend role. Indeed. And I think the other issue is, and this kind of comes down to my back and forth between, you know, deliberately duplicating something and it kind of coming across as a little redundant or reductive or I don't even remember. Is it redundant or reductive or repetitive? Depends on what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. So whichever one makes me sound smart. Um, I think think it's redundant is the one you're looking for. Well, I just feel like, you know, I think he gets dumped twice in a span of like 20 minutes. And I think re kind of retrain that ground of is he the killer that for yeah. me kind of wore thin after a while. I and again, agree. I don't think it's really necessarily a performance issue. I, that kind of comes back back to the, the script thing that the, the, that Laura was making. It's not between script red, and performance. You know, it's a good red herring in that it builds off of what you assume from the first film. Yeah, and know? I guess I guess in this case because he's so connected to Sydney, I read this as less of a red herring and more of an example of how Sydney is unable to ever trust anyone. And it's more Mm. about, again, it becomes more about Sydney's trauma in this moment, but that's how I tend to view things, you know? So this is just my, my biased opinion, but um, I, I, to me, it's more just like he is a victim in many ways and she, you know, and it's all about her inability to, to trust. And that's really what their dynamic becomes about. Well, she even says being alone is not the answer. Right. One point. He literally gets to serve as like this or offer this sort of 40 anxiety for us. Because like when at the end, when, when, you know, Sydney's at the stage and Mickey's just like trying to act as if they've been in this together, which is a great genius scripting mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, like, really, I love it. that was really clever. Yeah, that the was... setup is awesome because you're mm-hmm. like, well, as Sydney and us by proxy being the viewer and being in her shoes like you really don't know what to do. Right. <laughs> like, You're like, shit. You know? Cause like either way, and you don't want to be the person in a horror movie that does the boneheaded thing and then gets killed. <laughs> so yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's so tragic. Like the way that they've yep. staged it, the way that he's tied to the cross, the whole, like, you know, if you had just untied him, you could have saved him. And then how he like is shot. And then he like looks at her and he's like, I would have never hurt you. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, and she, geez. And she had just made the same mistake with Holly, with Holly, right. <laughs> you know, by going back to the car. Right. It's something else I didn't like, like 90 minutes, I think it's like 90 minutes in, he says, you know, when this is all over, I'll still be here. And there's a foreboding music. And I thought, this is, there's no way he's the killer. Mm-hmm. No. Well, they tried to shoot it you like know? a bunch of times where he is. And they did that yeah. deliberately, obviously. I mean, like when he, when the close-ups of him, when he's looking around. Yes, yes. You know, oh, I never, I never thought he was the killer. I know. I just thought that was kind I thought of it would have been too obvious to be the boyfriend yeah. choice yeah. in a row, yeah. but it, but it does. But that seed of doubt is enough to add tension to the script, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, and knowing that Sydney's choices are going to be affected by that same tension, I think makes for a really interesting dynamic. And when you watch it again after knowing how it plays out, all the things he says, you know, it's like he's so genuinely sweet and so genuinely yeah. supportive, and it is. I mean, that's just like. That's something you only find once in a lifetime, really. You know, it just adds so much more tragedy. Right, to the it's, mix when it's you think about just it. so sad. You know, you know, it's tragic is that big ass fucking polo oh, well, shirt. Yeah, I have, uh. I literally have in my notes like Jerry O'Connell's. I, I, okay, let's see. I wrote Jerry O'Connell's khakis vomiting emoji. Then I wrote, <laughs> "Why is every shirt oversized in an unfashion yes. in an unfashionable way? Like it doesn't have a utilitarian or an aesthetic purpose." I think it was in that very. 
That's very. That's that's who listened to Dave Matthews well, I know. band. That's yeah, that's right. I, just, for, well, I, uh, sure. I can't. I, oh yeah, no, it was awful back then. It's awful now. And I gotta say, this may be an unpopular opinion. The I think I love you scene is totally cringe. It's oh, pretty no, cringe. I love it. I mean, I think it's. I think it's so cute. It's uh, cute, but it's also cringe. It rides that line for me. Yeah, I think again, Ten Things I Hate About You did a better job. That's the second th- time I think that Ten Things I Hate About You did a better job in something in this in this movie. You, you know what's not awful though? His shoulders and uh, that doesn't. <laughs> okay, well, there right. so this, this guy could have fucking like amazing. Like this guy could have sung the. And he only... covers him up with that big ass polo the, shirt. The for most that big ass gunshot wound. <laughs> so, Mike, you're basically saying that he could have gone out there and sound like Crash Test Dummies, and you would have been enthralled by. Oh, easily. Yeah. 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 yeah, look at him. Look at his fucking eyes for Christ's sake. Like that is it's like Hollywood royalty eyes basically like we wish on. him all the Babyist best blues. Come on. Uh, okay listen you know what hasn't aged poorly think about this Liev schreiber is in two seconds of scream <laughs> uh, who knew i know uh, that's what i'm what lucky casting or i don't know if that's williamson and craven knowing something or he's only been in like what nick's nuts up to that point yeah, <laughs> and he's just in two seconds of scream in the backseat of a of a old TV footage well, of him going to be arrested. I mean, that's uh, but it wasn't huge yet. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying yeah, but casting him and and scream mm-hmm. like the chances of that yeah. of that becoming such a major part of him being. I think he's the best actor oh, to come out of any of the screen movies. He's really, really great in these. He's, great. he's, he's, he's he got is. so much going on in his performance. Uh, I love watching him. And they I don't know give him enough. Vanderbilt. You mentioned the whole thing. You wish that they had made him a little bit more sympathy, but they, I think. I like well, the fact that we never have a really good grasp on no, who he is. I agree. Like, maybe you don't know who he is for the whole movie, but I wish they gave him a better arc. They framed him better. And at the end, he actually does come around and save Sydney because he knows it's the right thing to mm-hmm. do, not because of the Diane Sawyer. Yeah, I yes. agree. I, agree. I, think that's, I, I think that's cheap, and I don't think it works in this movie, and I think it would have been a more dynamic, more interesting, more satisfactory character arc I agree. for Cotton I, yeah, I can I, see the, that. Yeah. The debate is bad. The debate is very bad, and it's all because they didn't... Why would he do it? Why would well, they he didn't kill soften that the original point? script enough. That's the, that, that's the I, problem, I, because he's supposed to be the fucking killer. I, I read know? it as, I mean, him taking a tiny amount of pleasure in Sydney's suffering because he mm-hmm. does. It's yes. like he's like it's kind of like a tit for tat. Like, okay, you put me in jail for a year. Let me enjoy this one moment, and then I'll save your life. And because he's still there's still something off about him. That's right. the thing too. It's not like he's some perfect person. Like I still think there's something off about well, him that a, he would do. He kind of becomes an egomaniac, you know, as we see. Yeah. I mean, so oh, definitely. But, Look, if yeah. you're writing a movie like Scream that has like twisting characters over and over again, like why wouldn't you play that you know move, mm-hmm. you know, or that play that card? I agree, Vanderbilt, in the sense that I do wish they gave more. And they certainly, if you want to talk about wasting a death. That next, the oh, next, wow, whatever happens, the next one is such a fucking waste. Yeah, well, it's a oh, total waste. We will waste. definitely talk about that. I think the scene where he's um, going after in the library when he's kind of just on the top step, mm-hmm. that direction is, great. that's talking about like, make West, West will make it scary. Yep. That's yeah. an example of that <laughs> yep. right West there. will make like it scary. <laughs> so if you're, if you're Sydney and like, you know, he finally shoots Debbie Salt and don't you ask him like, okay, so are you really fucking debating whether or not you're going to save me or not? Like, I mean, well, come they, on. They, she <laughs> kind of lets him get out of his own web when he keeps saying, Sydney, no, I never would have done it. And she goes, just give me, can you give me the gun? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. yeah. She's still kind of like, I don't know who this guy yeah. is. Yeah. Anyway, Liv Schreiber, great actor. One more question with Liv. Is it Liv or Leave? Liv. Liv Schreiber. Liv Schreiber. Yeah. Okay. I don't know anymore. A voice think... to aspire to. He does yeah. all the, uh, all those uh, hard knocks NFL narration stuff and all those award show narration stuff too. His uh, peak moment as Cotton is the button line at the end of this. It's perfect, perfect line. 
Oh, oh yeah, would make he... a hell of a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. you know that Kevin Williamson was just like, oh god, yes. <laughs> I will, like, let's I talk about it. this. I think the end that of this would movie... work so much better if he had the heroic arc, like or the redemption mm-hmm. arc. Yeah. I think. Well, he does. I in think a he kind of does though, and he, he does save yeah. the day. He literally because she literally says you should talk to to Cotton. He's, he's the, the real hero. He's the, yeah. he's the real hero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he just he literally he just had to debate whether or not he was going to save my life. But here, take a. Getting them off her back, you know, so it's not totally selfless on her part either. You know, she doesn't want to oh, talk yeah. to the fucking media. So that's I don't, true. Yeah. But I remember in theaters, I, I kind of got chills. I, yeah. I'm not being hyperbolic. I swear to God, I got kind of chills at that moment where she's talked to Cotton. He's the real he's the real hero there. I don't yeah. know. I no, thought I, I thought it landed for me. Yeah. I did. I did me. like. I, I think you could. You, you there, there's ways to pick it apart and critique it, but all you know the the big shape of it. I did enjoy the way that that played out. Yeah. Also, another great laugh in the theater I remember was when he jumps back up after Gale mm-hmm. and and Sydney have killed Mickey. And he goes, Whoa! Yeah, yeah, that was great. great. I like they go. Great oh. Bit. oh, doesn't he ask? Is there anybody else down there? Yeah, when he helps Gale up. <laughs> yeah, Very I find funny. him kind of relatable because I like that he's in some ways that he's not like a heroic guy. He's kind of like I just kind of got thrust into these circumstances. I'm a little squirrely. I'm a little self self centered. But you know, I, I don't know. It's like he's just some. He's, I just find him kind of charming and interesting. Yeah, because he's only there because Gail invited him. <laughs> right. That's and that right. was a real dirty move on Gail's part at oh, the top absolutely. of this movie. Yeah. Uh, but even but even Cotton didn't realize that Gail hadn't spoken. Yeah. So that's it, it Again, adds some different things to the character. Not, yeah. He's yep. not totally villainous. He's just not like a perfect guy. You it's know? Not black just, and white. Right. Such tighter um, scripting. God, but I think he edges too much to villain throughout this movie. That's well, I think but I agree. Like, I do like it's a red What's herring that? thing there too, though. I think that's yeah. a red herring. It's thing just there. all in service of like the the, the mystery. Yeah. Right. yeah. At the, you know, it's a it's a strength and a weakness of these movies that they're all whodunits, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. because yeah. it may, keeps them interesting. It's something that's kind of unique to to this franchise, yep. but it's um, you know, even though there are other slashers that are essentially whodunits, these really are structured like whodunits. Um, but it absolutely. It boxes you in a little bit. Well, I don't know if you know this, but um, in 1999, uh, Kevin Williamson was actually cut from uh, Mystery Men because he is a Mystery Man himself. <laughs> okay. Well, next Stop. next actor. Stop. The Mystery Box. <laughs> Joel Jones What's by in Dwayne. The box? Dwayne Martin plays Joel Jones, who's the camera, who's who's basically like, what if Kenny was smarter? Yeah. As a cameraman, because again, we mentioned, I think it was yes. actually Dwayne Martin's suggestion that he leave because he wouldn't have yeah. stuck around. And that is a pretty funny bit. One of my, yeah, fa- one of my I favorite like Joel moments. The part where it's like, did you get that on film? Yes, I got that on film. Like, film I, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do like it's very sweet that he comes back at the end. It's like, I'm yeah. still here for you, Chief. You know, it could be yeah. funny if, you, if, they, if they had brought him back for the next one, actually. Even though she was, if you really analyze her behavior being a Awful. very abusive boss, <laughs> yes. you know, like, why that, would he come nothing back? Nothing changed, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cutthroat business. Yeah. But I, I mentioned this in the first Scream. Vanderbilt, you remember in the first Scream when I when I noted how dated Scream was? Well, this movie's equally as dated. Do you know what? Do you know why this movie's so dated? Why Scream Two is dated? Yeah, uh, all the big ass fucking cell phones. No, 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 no. <laughs> if you look closely, right before they discover Randy's body and they run to Joel, he's holding a Dunkin' Donuts yep. bag. Folks, it's called <laughs> Dunkin' now. Okay, I don't want to see any more of the Dunkin' There's Donuts. There's a lot of Dunkin', Dunkin, Dunkin Donuts, donuts in this over book. here. There is a lot of Dunkin' Donuts in this movie. Just uh, like in Scream, when you see the Dunkin' Donuts yep. bag, I thought, what is this, 1900? 
You would know. I mean, you watched I would know. I was, I was, I was, I was there for the the great train robbery. That we were, we we, we went screaming out of the theaters thinking a train. Uh, was what, what's your us. scariest it's movie you've ever train. seen? Uh, the great train robbery. I thought it was an actual train. <laughs> and especially, and then, and then when that person starts shooting at me at the very end, I was getting. Well, you went, to, you went to the first Dunkin' location. You're like, this place is going. You know, the, the, well, this as we is all know, places. Dunkin' Donuts named after the great John Duncan, yeah. and uh, Dunkin' Soy Chest. He was a great man. Rest in peace, John Duncan. R.I.P. Joel lives. Dwayne Martin, check him out. And he, he, hey, he's got a cameo in the faculty. Remember that? Kevin yeah. yeah, he's uh, the cop. And uh, he mm-hmm. comes in. He's, you think he's going to save the day? Doesn't. He gets, uh, becomes one of them. Well, if you also have your bingo board that we would mention Above the Rim twice in this podcast, he's also the star of Above the Rim. So there you he go. Need, okay. He's another one who needs a, who needed a... I feel like his arc is... And it's probably due to script... Uh, it was rewritten. Yeah, you know, he was like... The way he leaves and then comes back, but he should have come back in a more dynamic fashion. Well, I think mm-hmm. he dies in one of the other like. drafts, too. So, Well, he does because he was the, the he was actually a suspect because he's pre-med, and they keep saying, like, oh, this was there's a precision to the kills, and, well, You're he's right. in pre-med, and it's like, okay, yeah. Nah, we got and, and he dies off screen, so he doesn't even get that. So, like, he gets a better role here. Gotta say, probably one of the smartest characters in the Scream universe because it's just like, 100%. fuck this, I'm leaving town. That's what in I'm all, In all of horror films, and he actually... <laughs> Makes it out yeah. essentially, yeah. and it comes back when the smoke clears. Yep. Exactly, yeah. well, smart guy. Yeah. Okay, next yeah. character. Interesting part. Interesting point in her career. Sarah Michelle Gellar as uh, CC because oh my God. the so filming smart. and everything. So they filmed this movie. I remember Buffy was like a mid-season replacement in '97. It think came it out in March '97. Okay, so they filmed this. They're probably filming simultaneous or mm-hmm. right after she had wrapped doing Buffy. They started filming this movie, so she didn't know if that was going to be a hit or, or not, I think. No. I'm trying to remember it's 1997. Just, but this is also I know what she did last summer. Yeah. Like, wow, what a year. Yeah, you're it's right. A what a year for her. her. Kicked off big time. I mean, and I think her inclusion here was a big part of why this movie became a pop culture phenomenon. Because but by then... You could advertise with her. It, oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. It had, like, everybody. There was one point when I watched this movie the last time where I was like, I hadn't seen it in a while. And, like, everybody... That was an actor in the '90s shows up at some point. I was like, when like Portia Durazi and Rebecca Gayhart walk right. in at the same time, I like had a stroke. Yeah. I was like, no, it's too much. And well, like, Joshua Jackson you, for like Josh two Jackson. Yeah, he's in there for a hanging minute. out in the the the, uh, the, the classroom. Did you remember, notice? Dawson's Creek hadn't uh, didn't premiere until January of twenty of uh, two uh, January of nineteen ninety eight. So yeah, like, man, I can't she's it was that late. Yeah. Check this out though. Did you also recognize the other sorority sister that she bumps into when she's talking to Ghostface? Oh, um, it's Marisol Nichols, who was in Vegas Vacation as yes, Audrey. Yes, yes, she yeah, was I, in Twenty Four. Yeah, and she guess what? Guess what I just didn't know her name. In. Guess what she's in? She's also in Spiral, the, the Book Above of Saw. Is she really? He's wow. going to be in Spiral. So there you go. Everybody shows up in this movie. Long story short. Okay, I have a question for you though, and I think we kind of alluded to this earlier. This is an example of Mrs. Loomis being the one on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, because you I, see. I, have when, that in my notes. When she's on the phone, you see or you hear her talking to Cece, and in the background, you see Ghostface sneak in the, the yeah. door, and he's not, he's, not, he's not on the phone. No. So that's, I think that's a case of Mickey is the one doing the killing, and Mrs. Loomis is the one on the phone. I, I think this is, there are a lot of great sequences in this movie. This one, I think, is just superb. Like, it's such a, I mean, first off, it's a total throwback to Black Christmas. Yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the way that they, they weave this in 
it's funny because like obviously you filmed this in the summer of 97 so like Sir Mr. Geller hadn't been a name yet but man talk about prescient filming because like the fact that they give her an extended sort of sequence here you know that like when that show hit, hit it big they're like fuck thank god we gave her more than three minutes you know <laughs> like because yeah. it's so great like you, you really do actually ha- like she's not really that intrinsic to the the actual overall arc of the, the story and when you watch it's just you- kind of kicking things off at yeah. school yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like she's just co- she's corollary at best, but you actually but she has that presence. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I don't know. I love you know who's guy. on the phone call with her, by the way. It's us. Uh, is it Selma Blair? Selma Blair. Yeah, yeah. Which they're best friends. I mean, they're still friends to this day. And oh, really? Course, That's funny. And of course, they would appear in Cruel Intentions. And what was yes. the final song in Cruel Intentions? The Bittersweet Symphony. They got the Bittersweet Symphony <laughs> yeah. song at the end. Uh, finally, it How all about comes that? together. It all comes together. Fun fact. Cruel Intentions has a tie to this because they actually wanted Reese Witherspoon for this role. Well, and something else, Josh Jackson, also mm. in Cruel Intentions. That's true, yeah. And Eric Mabius, also in Cruel Intentions, who had an addition for this movie. Listen, there's a lot of incestuous stuff going on in these movies. It was all yeah. the same people showing up. You know what I mean? Urban yeah. Legend had Josh Jackson. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Listen, speaking of fun, beans. I love beans. Big, <laughs> fat, hot, juicy beans. You- I'm talking about Louis Arquette, <laughs> Louis Arquette. who plays Chief Hartley. <laughs> of course, Louis Arquette in Waiting for Guffman. Great yeah. scene. Father, of course, to David Arquette. <laughs> same year, though. Guffman came out the same year, I think, didn't it? 97. I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, no, maybe 96 was Guffman. Yeah, we'll never know. But that, we'll yeah, never know. <laughs> love him. Answer. Love Guffman. Um, not a lot to say. I just want to point out that he's in this. It's, it's a fun thing to see him yeah. showing up with his, his, uh, his, his son again. That's nice. And that guy did a lot of fucking TV. Yes, yeah. a lot of TV and, and movies for decades. He died uh, four years later after this. Yeah. And he's in Tango and Cash. Ooh, good movie. He was in a lot. Great. One of the best. Glad <laughs> yeah. you could drop in. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about these two back to back. Let's let's combine forces here. Lois, played by Rebecca Gayhart, and Murphy, played by Portia de Rossi. They were in a lot more of this movie than I remember them being in when I was younger. They keep popping up. Yeah. And they both survive, right? Yeah. Yeah. It made me think that, and I don't know if this is just retro retconning because of urban legend. I kept thinking that they were going to have something to do with it. Even when I watch it now, knowing how it plays out, I'm like, they're suspicious. <laughs> There's one dummy script where they are the killers. Okay. Maybe that's it. why they're in there like a handful of times. Because like, I don't know, their whole relationship doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't know. Like, they're like, it seemed first they seem like they don't really know each other, like her and Sydney, but then they're all in the play together. And I'm like, what the, what is the deal That's with right, these they, chicks? Yeah, they're in the play. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. And they're never mean enough to be that no. stereotypical mean girl sorority. Right. Well, I do think, thing. though, they're like that passive they, aggressive. Like, they wanted, but I think that the way that they sounded kind of desperate for her to join mm-hmm. is because of her history. Yeah. Yeah, they're being exploitative kind of, being of her. They're like, we want yeah. the feather in our cap of this. Yeah. I think Portia de Rossi's got a great line when she says, hi. No, I really mean that. Hi. Yes, that's great a line. great line. Great line. Great delivery. Seeing Portia in this movie is kind of like revisiting a yearbook. Mm-hmm. Like, and like realizing quirks about yourself that you just, that you still have today. You're like, wow, I didn't realize I had, you know, I'm still interested in that type of stuff. Because you watch her here and you're like, oh, like the DNA of Lindsay Bluth is, is literally in Murphy. Definitely. Like, oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, I think she's fun. Well, TV, she because I think right after this or right or during this, she was on Ally McBeal, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. For a couple years, maybe. I guess I don't remember. She was on Nip Tuck too. Yeah, that's right. Oh no, no Rebecca like Gayhart's on Nip Tuck. Yeah, yeah, though, yeah. Right? Not Portia no. De Rossi. No, Portia's on Nip Tuck. Oh, is she also, really? Oh, really? Well, she was dating. Uh, she was dating Kimber. 
They oh, were a thing. Interesting. And I want to say uh, they tried to have like a a thruple with uh, Christian Troy. No, uh, I don't believe it for a second on Nip Tuck. That must be out of your mind. Because <laughs> Rebecca Gayhart has a really tragic arc on Nip Tuck also. Well, she's got a tragic life. I know, she does. Just um, go to her Wikipedia page. We don't really yeah. get into all that right now. Hey, she was the Noxema girl, remember? That was uh, her big thing. That's what I, that's what oh, I, I remember. always remember her as. Yes. I think we all remember that uh, very fondly. Very fondly. Some of, some like that's a generational thing when you refer to yes. uh, Rebecca Gayhart as the Noxema girl, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I was happy to live through that generation. I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> it was really? the best of times and really the best of times. Well, worst of times for khaki pants. I well, it's suppose. also the worst of times for her character, yeah. Natu Ano, who gets mm-hmm. killed. Yep. She's great in Urban Legend, though. I just watched that not long yes. ago. Yes. She's just so bananas in that movie. I love it's it. her eyes. Her eyes mm-hmm. just do so much. Uh, Eyeshadow, too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, and she's great as Cliff Booth's wife. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. You're right. She's she's very good in that, too. <laughs> <She's the one. laughs> oh, boy. The harpoon. That, that, you want to have some good Twitter discourse? Let's, let's talk oh, about yeah, that for let's... a while. Oh, boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for the novelization to come out because, obviously, I haven't read it, but I saw somebody tweet that the discourse is going to be insufferable. Oh, I know. About the once upon a time Hashtag once upon a time in Hollywood for a couple months. Is okay. Tarantino writing that? Yeah, he did. It's wow. written. It's I've got it pre-ordered. It's coming out uh, in June and I'll probably right. read it in a day. Yeah, we talked wait. about the voice of Ghostface Once again, Roger L. Jackson returned to do mm. the voice. On Great set. Job. Great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk briefly about the stab movie within the movie. Mm. We, kind of, we, we <laughs> talked about that earlier on. But Robert Rodriguez did direct those scenes. Yeah. yeah that's great. Which is fun. He loves all the meta jumping in on doing stuff like in Grindhouse uh, and stuff like that. I'm trying to think how maybe how he, I guess he got that gig through Dimension. Yep, definitely. Because he had been working with them. Because I don't know, him and Wes Craven didn't have a previous connection. No. No. I think Laura mentioned earlier. Well, Sidney Prescott is played by Tori Spelling. And the joke, of course, is. One of the best jokes. One of the best jokes. Such a good payoff. (laughs) But Luke Wilson, we went, we, Laura talked about so funny in this. Yeah. Just like, nails that now to an aesthetic. Crumbles. It's uh, he just like turns uh, it up, turns up the volume on all the like character yeah. traits by like you know the, five the, and <laughs> so the, the squinting eyes, like uh-huh. I, you know, stupid. And, like smacks his head before the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. Very funny. I'll, I'll say Heather Graham. It's kind of sad in hindsight because she mm. had been wanting so bad to be in these movies and she had auditioned for different you know, multiple roles and she's talked in, at, at length about how. You know, prior to Boogie Nights, like she really was going to be like she was giving up, you know, and and I'm looking back here and I'm like, yeah, this is a great role. It's fun role. And I'm glad, you know, it's kind of a fun meta role. But I'm sure like at the time, like grandma's like, well, you know, why couldn't I be, (laughs) you know, like the CC role or something like that? You know, yeah, like because she's great in this. It's so funny because it's like it really does get into the whole sensational. This doesn't make any sense. The extra, I guess, was supposed to say, stay away from her, you bitch. And Randy was supposed to correct him by saying, actually, it's get away from her, you bitch. But the extra messed up and said the true line, get away from her, you bitch. Do the scene over. So Randy, but Randy jokingly said, stay away from her, you bitch. But it also makes, now, if we don't know that's an inside joke that he was riffing, it just makes Randy look totally wrong. And now I'm, I'm, I'm questioning... His entire credibility. Yeah. That's why he I'm shouldn't done. be I'm done with him. He's a, he's, he's, That's why he shouldn't be mansplaining. This is why he's canceled. Got right. it. Got it. Okay. Get him out of here. Wait, wait. So I, I'm still, I still understand that one. So like, because it's Joshua Jackson who says it, and then yes. he corrects him. But he, but Joshua Jackson was supposed to say the wrong line. Yes, he was supposed to say "stay away from you, bitch," but then he accidentally do, said "get away from you, bitch." So they both were. They both probably didn't realize what was the right line, and they got the no, lines they did. flubbed, mixed up. Ran, 
Jamie Kennedy said that he riffed as a joke. What does this make any sense, Jamie? Just it like it doesn't make any sense. Randy, Randy, Randy would know that. Yeah, it Randy also would doesn't make that. any sense why you go into a British inflection for no reason when you're walking and talking, which I guess apparently he said it in hindsight, like he just started laughing on a podcast recently about the fact that like he did that. He's like, I have no idea why I did that. Yeah, like, I, I didn't know if it was a reference to a movie that no. I was missing. I'm usually pretty sharp with that sort of thing. I thought maybe I was wrong, I, honestly. That's I, like, I actually double-checked it. I feel it. like mm. that's like a good actorly instinct to just kind of like have fun with stuff. But then if you're mm-hmm. in a movie like this where everything means something and isn't just yeah. like a quirk of a character, everyone's going to be fucking analyzing it for 30 years and being like, why? And he's like, I don't know. I'm dumbass. I'm dumbass. Hello. Oh, My name is, weird. you know, but I, yeah. Anyway, maybe yeah. that was the Randy discourse, not necessarily mm. the man splitting, but it was getting the aliens. Wrong. I like the like, idea of trying to r- figure out what the discourse is about and um, finding all these things wrong with Randy. <laughs> 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 um, OK, who, who will I've got a few more, but who else? Uh, I mean, there's um, a bunch of T2 like the you know, you kind of have a Linda Hamilton mm-hmm. thing going on. Is that what he says or does he say? Yes. Uh, that Sarah Connor. I can't remember. Yeah. The showerhead yeah. is is a reference to Psycho, and that that was actually the the in. Wait, what's a showerhead? In the, well, in in the, the scene with Stab. Oh, yeah, and that was actually that's, supposed that's to have right. more. Like the it was supposed to have the killer like appear behind the curtain or something like that, just like mm. in Psycho. Like in the script, it actually references Psycho. That's all I got. Uh, an unfortunate reference that, well, it's complicated. When Randy's saying that Hallie could have been a killer, I think she's she refers to her as possibly like Candyman's daughter. <laughs> Uh, like, hey, you know, he's uh, like, I know uh, one uh, other uh, role of what the first half of history of horror movies right. would have been better or worse if he said Blackula. <laughs> I'm not commenting funnier, on maybe, that. With Blackula, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I'm tired of the Ewok slander. I'm done Damn. with it. I love the Ewoks. I've always loved the Ewoks. If Same everybody here. out here is going to be a, wanting to hug and kiss, you know, fucking Porgs and BB-8, then we gotta give the Ewoks their due. Yeah, Ewoks are I love them. Was oh. this where the Ewok hate started? No. I feel like, like it was around this. No, no there, there was I like a Starlog thing that was like 50 reasons why Return of the Jedi sucks or something like that. And I think number one was the Ewoks. And I was just always, what? I mean, the only I thing the I don't like about the Ewoks is the fact that like we're supposed to believe that they took down the Empire. Like they that's did. A, it's a stretch. We, we saw we saw the stormtrooper heads. I know being played makes, upon, they used, and they <laughs> ate them. They motherfuckers hit ate traps them. and nets. Yes, they used their own nature against them. They knew. It was like they were they were like the post Rambo, you know. It was kind of best like... thing we got out of the Ewoks is on Good Morning America a few years ago. Oh. <laughs> when they one of the one of them's drunk and just and starts fucking going off and doing dances and like Al Roker and the gang they have no idea what to fuck oh, to do. I have to see they just this. have no idea. Oh, it's that's, so funny. That's, that's quality. They start doing moonwalk. Like the, the Ewok starts moonwalking. Like it is so funny. If nobody has any more, I'll run through these next four. Yeah, Faces of Death reference by Joel. Which they're remaking, apparently. What? Which will be interesting. I think, yes, which will be interesting. Um, I Think I Love You is obviously a reference to Top Gun, mm-hmm. which is mentioned in the movie. Yeah. Randy Quinn, Randy Quinn. Randy, Randy mentions Quinn. A, a Dr. Quinn cameo. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And when they said that Gail's pics leaked, nude pics leaked, she said, it was yes. just my head, it was Jennifer Aniston's body. Was that a real thing that happened? I was trying to it remember. Was. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Jennifer Aniston's. Nudes I mean, that was just like something that happened a lot, uh, particularly on the early days of the internet, okay. where somebody would just uh, Photoshop a famous actress on uh, to a naked body. But I can't remember if there was a specific incident. Let's give our last thoughts so Laura can mercifully take. He might pee at any minute. If he came in here, he's about to pee. <laughs> Let's go to our next category, which is we call One Last Scare. Randy said the killer's always superhuman. 
Yeah, well, he wasn't superhuman, Dewey. He wasn't superhuman at all. Well, Laura, you go first. Oh, shit. The race to the finish for your dog. I better look at so my give actual notes. <laughs> oh. It's one to five. What did we say? One to five ghost face, ghost face masks. Does that mm-hmm. sound fine? Hit it. I'm going to go ahead and be a real piece of shit and give this 3.75 ghost face masks. Wow. I feel, pitchfork like, adjacent. I feel like after this conversation, it took it down a few like notches in my eyes, but not quite enough to bring it down to three and a half. Um, but I, you know, I enjoy this movie. I enjoy the whole damn scream franchise. It's fun. I, I just, you know, uh, I don't know. I hate ratings sometimes. Cause I just have like, there's so many elements that go into it, but I'm, I'm sticking with my bullshit rating. We appreciate the bullshit rating. Go save your dog. Okay. I'll come we'll, back we'll for, for in like 30, you know, five. Yeah. yeah well, we, we might still be here. Who knows? Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. Clara. Um, uh, Vanderbilt. What do you think out of five? So, this one, as I've said, as I said at the top of the show, disappointed me in 97. And on the rewatch, it didn't it didn't elevate uh, my thoughts on it anymore. I think it's got a lot of great. Sequ- it's a string of great sequences, but such a flimsy plot. And especially when you compare it to the original screen, which I think was a game changer and an all timer and, you know, top 10, top 20 horror movies, definitely slasher movies of all time. I just don't think everything adds up in Scream 2. And maybe I'm being too harsh on it, but I'm going to say two and a half edging towards three. Two and a half edging towards three. But I'm not ready to give it the three because the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of disappointed with the twists and turns of the whole thing. Make no apologies for ye own opinions. (laughs) And I think I may have enjoyed Scream 3 more, but I guess we'll talk about that that on a further episode. Ralph Malachi, go last because I know that you've got a lot. Yeah, I got lot. a high one. <laughs> um, I, I still think I, I've, had, I've, I've made no of my criticisms, but I still think this is one of the better horror sequels. And especially to be coming off of Scream, I still think they nailed a lot. I think they got caught. I like the cult cotton inclusion here. I still feel for Sydney here. There's, they just get a lot right in terms of the horror stuff. I know it sounds really basic, but I promise you, I was affected by this movie throughout. There's a lot of great scenes. I think the opening is, is really good. I think the, the, the counterpoint to Casey being all alone, to having Marines surrounded by hundreds of people and still being helpless was a really good choice. Uh, however, dated some of those elements may or may not be today. Randy's death, still one of the most shocking theater experiences I've ever had. I loved the whole Cassandra bit, the sound booth bit. Mm-hmm. I, so much of this movie still works for me. And so in terms of the Scream franchise, not in terms of like overall cinema, as I always have to point out, I would actually give it a four out of five. You know, I think it's up there in terms of sequels to the other stuff we talked about with some of those Elm Street sequels, some of the Friday sequels, like part two and final chapter and Jason Lives. Like, I do think it's that good. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that sets it apart from some of those movies even is how great the actors are in these. Yeah. There's no, there's no bum notes. Even small people, even like Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart are like minor roles, but even they're really good actors. And I think that does mean something when it comes to this specific franchise and how the tone is of it being more of a fun time as opposed to being this high intensity, high bloody body count. So there you go. Four to five, but Mike Rothman, what about you? Look, I shit on sequels all the time on this podcast, Halloween five, Halloween resurrection, Halloween, which I'm pretty sure some, most of my vitriol, um, <laughs> lost us a ton of uh, followers, but look, a lot of that hatred comes from the fact that I really do love the sequel. I think that they're, I like, the, I love the sequel when it's done right. 
And I think Scream 2 just, I think it hits all the right targets. I, I think it learns from its mistakes of the predecessor with a strong, like a strong cadre, uh, cadre. Cadre? Is it cadre? Yeah, strong cadre of characters that it, it's self-aware without being too cute. I think it's smart without being pretentious. It's broad without dumbing itself down. I think the kills are more harrowing. I think the sequences are more thrilling. I think the tension is franchise best. I think the twists are franchise best. I think the characters are franchise best. This is exactly, it's like exactly what I want from a sequel. Um, but even beyond the, like the hard, the, I don't know, like even beyond like all the high marks, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying early on. It's the magic. <laughs> it's, it's the back. magic of that reunion. I mean, Scream was so popular because it gave us characters we could relate to, right? So, the f- you know, the fact that it's the magic of Scream 2 is reuniting with those characters again. And I think having the shared history, like I was discussing before, is just so big and it's so it's so it, it fills into that magic and, it, and that magic is contagious and 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 it's one that i think this franchise banks on and obviously the mixed results later on that we'll discuss in the, the months ahead mm. I, I think the magic here though lethal weapon two level of magic i'm talking it's back i love it i want it again and again i'm always gonna fucking love and revisit this movie again and again so for me five glow in the dark ghost face masks Ooh. oh shit I've one stab poster one bucket of buttered popcorn one thing of herbal essence hair dye <laughs> you know for the streaks and one camcorder with blood on it so i'm i love this movie to death like i just love it so you rank this one higher than the original i do yeah huh? Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I, think I can't this go there. Is, I know. I One know. One of the reasons but I lowered it, my score a little bit because I would give the original five. So I was like trying to mm. temper it in relation to that. So I right. don't know. But I mean, oh, I still yeah. enjoy the hell out of this movie. I, you know, I don't know. This is a Godfather, Godfather Part Two situation for me. <laughs> I love the original too. Oh, much like, like the common, uh, much like the discourse in the film. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Discourse with a capital D, Mickey D's. <laughs> and, and great. And usually discourse is great at D too, uh, when you look on Twitter. But what's amazing is that I can't believe Laura did make it back. I know. I'm letting her dog out. To <laughs> I'm not surprised go by to that the at all. She's the Dewey of uh, the the podcast. Yes, we think she's gone. She'll keep It would have been back. really great if like my body just got thrown into the room and like the Zoom. I should have fucking had you know, I don't Post I need to this is why I need to keep blood capsules in the house yeah. at all times because I would have come back in with it like running out oh. of my mouth, you know. We While you're giving your final plugs. And speaking of final plugs, Laura, where else can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. That's where I make a bunch of stupid comments and uh, engage in discourse with a capital D. That's not true. I really don't at all. Um, <laughs> I, I just make stupid jokes. I'm also uh, on Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast mm-hmm. with friend of the po- friends of the pod, Jen Adams and Mike Snoonian. Yeah, they both appeared uh, on this. That's right. Yep. Yep. So we, we analyze horror movies from the perspective of mental health. And every month we have a new mental health theme. We are currently in the middle of residential treatment for May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. It's kind of redundant when you have a mental health podcast, but we tried to take a little bit of a different tack this month. Um, yeah, you can listen in. And uh, every every week we also have a comfort horror episode where we just kind of have fun. I know that Mike and Justin have both been on here. So yeah, check us out. And you can find us at, at Psychoanalysis, one word, a horror therapy podcast. And that, is that it? Anything <laughs> else? Uh, no, I'm otherwise I'm, I'm locked in this room and I can't leave. <laughs> well, that's a frightening thought. At least the mm-hmm. dog can get out briefly. I let him out, and then there's like chains that keep me. You know, it's like a foot 
chain situation. Anyway. That was like a Cinnabite <laughs> situation. That, that's what I was thinking. Or Mike. like a Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe like Maureen Prescott situation when she's like haunting outside Sydney's house. Oh, boy. You know? Oh, yeah. my God. It could all be right. all of the above. We'll talk about this uh, later this summer. Mike Vanderbilt, where else can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. You can find me at Instagram on Instagram at M A Vanderbilt. I also co-host with our friend of the pod, Adam Karsten, the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast, where we take a double feature that played around the Chicagoland area and give a little history of the movies, what else was playing around town, local news, and history of the theater. And then you can always find me here on the Halloweenies. Sounds good to me. Mike Rothman, <laughs> what about you? These pregnant pauses. Maybe there's more. Yeah. Who knows? Um, look, you find me here at uh, Halloweenies. You find me over at the Losers Club. We talk all things Stephen King, and we do mean all things. We just talked about, by the time this is coming out, you will, this will be the same week that we drop our big episode on Michael Jackson's Ghosts. And if you think, you know, 30 minutes of a loosely connected story to Stephen King that he wrote, did a story by that doesn't really even, you know, manifest onto the actual finished product. We managed to talk two hours about that. So, you know, join our Patreon uh, at uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash the Barons for that incredibly in-depth episode on Michael Jackson's ghost. Where we mostly talk about Michael Jackson the whole time, but all things horror at this point in my life. And I'm, I couldn't be happier. So, yeah, very ecstatic. Well, we're very happy to be a part of the Blade Disgusting Podcast yeah, Network now. And and you can find me also. You can find me over at the Losers Club, Stephen King Podcast. Uh, Mike mentioned all of those great things. We did it. Yeah, God. We <laughs> fucking did it. This might be did the it. longest Halloweenies episode we've ever it's, done. It's easily the longest one. Of course, it was yeah. going to be Scream 2 from 1997 and the year of our Lord. Jesus Christ, maybe. Jesus Christ. Oh, that's what I feel right now. <laughs> Because I think the I think the the previous record holder was the first Halloween. Well, technically, this will probably be two episodes. So yeah. really, Halloween still wins. So, yeah. <laughs> oh well, Mike, what's our sign up again? I'll be, be right, right back. back. <laughs> but you won't be back. This has been a bloody disgusting show. Thanks for tuning in. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.